Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. enjoying this long Thanksgiving holiday weekend. (laughs) Hope you found some deals on Black Friday. I hope you shopped some mom and pops yesterday. And now you're getting all set for Cyber Monday, I'll just bet. I forgot to introduce myself. I'm Terry Lynn Stacy from Hancock County. Nice to meet you, Terry. Thank you. And you are? I'm Kylan Talley from Washington County. And here we are with you for the next couple of hours. Whatever you might be doing. What are you doing? Are you enjoying yourself today? I know it's early and it is a soggy Sunday. But what's kind of nice about it when I got here earlier this morning is that there was a little bit of a gloom. Rain was coming down pretty good and uh, very dark and cloudy. But it was nice because when I walked into the building... The lobby was all lit up with Christmassy. The tree from Sullivan Hardware, which is gorgeous, gorgeous. And uh, and then also the lights on Monument Circle, Circle of Lights. So you could really see them because it's so kind of gloomy. You still can, can, but Kylan and I are pretty convinced the sun is coming out. I certainly hope it's so. Bright. The clouds are looking like it. We see cloud reef. We see We see kind of a sun reflection on some of the buildings down here on Monument Circle. Anyway, however long you can spend with us, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, are you feeling the Christmas spirit yet, Kyla? 28 days until oh, yeah, Christmas. You, you're in it. I'm so ready you're for in it. it. Are you decorated for Christmas Not already? Yet. Not yet. But it just takes, sometimes it takes a song. It takes something, you mm-hmm. know, to get you in the spirit. And downtown, the cherub is on the clock. Do you know the cherub? I've only read stories about it. I haven't gone and seen it. Then you know enough. Once you see it, it's bigger than you think, and it's it's historical. It should be there. So it's there, watching over the downtown shoppers and visitors. So enjoy all of this, because I know in a couple of weeks you're all going to be really grumpy. In fact, today is one of the busiest travel days of the year, and it is, it's going to be rough going. We've got weather, we've got, you know, you've got, millions of people on the roadway trying to get home. They say the busiest time today will be between 4 and 8 p.m. to be on the roads. So maybe get out a little earlier. And of course, we're hearing about delays and even just a handful of cancellations that have happened over this last 24 hours uh, when it comes to flying. For every 100 person that flew out for Thanksgiving, 177 are flying back today. Oh my goodness. On this day. Make sure your TSA pre-check, everything is ready to go with your yep. suitcase, luggage. There was a story that a cat was found in a bag. I saw the x-ray as it went through the x-ray detection deal. Mm-hmm. And I saw this cat strapped on its side in this suit, in this carry-on. Just cuddled up in the corner of it. I didn't like it, not one Mm-mm. bit. And throw that person in jail. 
You should never put your cat in a carry-on. He said that he was packing, turned his back, because it, it's his roommate's cat. It was He'd, strapped down. I don't know. That's, oh, man. Was it strapped down? Maybe I'm wrong about the whole story. Maybe I saw another story. About I'm not sure if it was strapped, strapped down or not, down. but regardless, trying to take a, a cat through a airport, not it. Okay, but wait, maybe you've changed my mind. Look, I can change easily. So do you? So the story was that it got in there by accident. He wasn't just trying to sneak it through. Mm-hmm. I have this from CBS that they were reporting. Okay. TSA agents weren't kitten when they made an unusual discovery at New York's JFK <laughs> airport. Inside a checked suitcase, they found an orange cat. You can see its red silhouette in the x-ray. The passenger said he didn't know it was in there and it belonged to his roommate. Well, a TSA official joked, on the bright side, the cat's out of the bag and safely back home. So I'm not sure. Okay, well, I, sure, I feel but... bad I jumped to conclusions. I thought that he threw him in there and strapped him down and said, we're going on a trip. I know how mad I would be waiting through the long TSA check line and then finding you have to go and return a cat to then get yeah. back in line. Yeah. I'm not missing my flight for that. Well, <laughs> I love cats, but... I just, traveling with your animals, it's hard on them. I'm, I'm sure. It can't be easy. You, they don't know what's happening. Anyway, I'm glad that had a happier ending than what I thought. Just about all the fantastic events have begun, guys. Christmas at the zoo. Christmas, uh, the, the Festival of Trees at the Historical Society. You've got Jingle Rails at the Idle Jorg, Connor Prairie, Jolly Days at the Children's Museum. Santa arrived at the State Museum yesterday, Friday by helicopter for the opening of Celebration Crossing. Do I have time to tell you a scary story? Oh, yes. We always have time for those. So it it relates to flying in a helicopter with Santa and Mrs. Claus. Oh, no. (laughs) And this was on this particular day. The grand opening, opening day of Celebration Crossing at the State Museum. You know where it is, right downtown here. Beautiful spot. And uh, so I was, this is when I was on the morning show, and I was invited to fly with Mrs. Claus and Santa in the helicopter and land in the grass there in front of the State Museum. What a cool experience. The day of, we were having truly, I'm sure of it, hurricane force winds. But they weren't going to give up. They're Santa and Mrs. Claus. They need to get it they need to get there and arrive by helicopter. And the pilot says, yeah, we can do this. I know it seems like it's a bad, windy day, but we're going to be okay. And so we get in the helicopter and we fly north to like like Westfield because of the wind. He wants to, he went somehow or another, and I'm not a helicopter pilot, but he had to get in some sort of wind pattern to land safely. And so about halfway through, I mean, the ride was incredibly bumpy and up and down and, and Mrs. Claus was holding my hand because she knew I was so afraid and she stepped she kept that cheerful you know everything's going to be all right darling <laughs> just the sweetest lady down. Mr. Claus I never heard from him I never saw him. Santa was in the front seat I was in the back with Mrs. Claus and she just held my hand so tight and said everything's gonna be okay we finally got word that they were gonna move the children off the grass into the state museum in case something happened when we landed. What's supposed so to happen kids, to you? The kids, <laughs> the kids all go in. And so when we're coming down, we don't see any children yet. I mean, we're really landing. And it was, it was, uh, I've never been so happy to be on the ground. And you know what, Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Claus, they just sh- fixed their hair a little bit. And they jumped right out of the helicopter. 
And she said, see, dear, everything was just fine. <laughs> and off they went. And I, my ride picked me up and I left. And I was never so glad to be on the ground again. It was so terrifying. But I was with the clauses. So <laughs> they really do sound professional. They've done it probably too many times. I know it. It was wonderful. It was wonderful being with them if I was going to go down. Uh, okay, so coming up, you know, we've had our Thanksgiving. You're shopping for your loved ones, maybe even for yourself for a minute. You've got uh, tomorrow is Cyber Monday. And then and Giving then Tuesday. Giving Tuesday. Yay. And Kylan had an opportunity to speak with Charity Navigator to tell you what you need to know before you make that donation. As we continue on the first day, 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. degrees in downtown Indianapolis, cloudy skies, wet roads. Be careful out there if you're traveling today. Terry Stacy, along with Kylan Talley. It's going to be a beautiful day. The clouds are moving away. We're going into a beautiful weekend. 30 mile an hour winds. Mm-hmm. Again, Cyber Monday is coming up. Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday can be a very complicated thing. At least for me, I don't know a whole lot about charities, giving, anything like that personally. And so it's kind of nice to have a resource to go to. So Charity Navigator is a really good one that can be a helpful tool. It's the nation's leading charity evaluator, rating nearly 200,000 organizations and being able to divide that up into the different causes that each of them supports. And so we have Kevin Scally here with us to be able to talk through some of those. He is the chief relationship officer of Charity Navigator. Kevin Scally, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to digging in. Before we take a deep dive into Charity Navigator, I wanted to know a little bit more about you. What made you start working with charities and nonprofits? Did you ever anticipate being in the position that you are? I'm so glad that you asked that. I've been in the nonprofit sector for coming up on 20 years. And when I first started working uh, in the nonprofit sector, it was at a college and university. It was my alma mater. And uh, I was working full time and the person across from me was uh, looking up organizations and they were like, oh, you've got to go to Charity Navigator. That's how you find, you know, which, which are the good organizations. And it's really important as to, you know, what your rating looks like there. And so that was kind of a seed that was planted. And I started using it, you know, kind of based off my own research and my own giving. And then I came to work at an organization called Smile Train, which is the world's largest cleft charity. It's a mega sized organization. Uh, they work in 85 countries around the world. And at the time, they weren't rated by Charity Navigator. And every November and December, our phone would ring off the hook, and we would get questions as to why weren't you rated by Charity Navigator. Now, it came to the organization's model uh, because it is a matter of donated services by the uh, surgeons that are actually providing it. And uh, I'm I'm proud to share that they they are a rated organization. They're a four-star rated organization, which is the, the top rating on Charity Navigator at this point. Uh, And about three years ago, I was contacted about a position at Charity Navigator. And it was really a nice culmination of my background in working with individual donors and marketing and technology for this specific role as chief relationship officer, which is, 
you know, pretty funny title, uh, but it's a but it's a combination of, of all of the above. Do you mind if I ask you what your alma mater was? Yeah, I went to a university, Monmouth University. It's uh, down on the Jersey Shore. Okay. And uh, it's a private university. Um, it's a great organization, and I went for uh, for communications and hmm. uh, happy to be uh, be working in that space and putting everything that I learned to, to good use. I'm so excited to go ahead and dive into the work that you guys have been doing and all of the experience you've put to good use. Charity Navigator recently got an update to both its search features and the rating system. What will this look like for people visiting the site? Yeah, so there are more than 1.6 million nonprofits in the United States. Of course, they work around the world. And that can make it really difficult to find the organizations that are you know, in your backyard or maybe nationally or internationally that are really working on the, the causes that you care most about. And so we make it a lot easier for people to be able to browse by cause area. So if you go to our site, you can search just based off of education or hunger, and you'll get organizations that are uh, serving those different areas. And then you can overlay our ratings and you can overlay the state that they're working in. Um, and then in addition to that, the size of the organization. So you can go from this very, very large list of organizations down to a finite list, and you can really find the most efficient and effective organizations mm-hmm. that are out there. How do you guys rate the charities? So it's, it's quite complex. Um, it's not based off of you know user reviews or anything like that. We, at the basic level, we look at their financial health as well as their accountability and transparency metrics. We get this information from their IRS Form 990, which is their annual tax filing for charities. And then in addition to that, we also get information from the charities directly and also from the partners. And so we look at it from four beacon areas, so four assessments. One is accountability and finance. We also look at impact and results. We also look at culture and community. So are they engaging with their constituents? Do they have good diversity, equity, inclusion practices? And then finally, we look at leadership and adaptability. Do they have a strategy in place and how are they articulating that and how are they actually delivering on it? I love that on the website when you're just discovering the different charities, if you're not looking for a specific cause or you want this one to search up, I love that you guys have the different categories, where to give, popular charities, best charities, and just like charities everyone's heard of, all of these different categories. And you can look into all of these different types that you might have heard of already. I am interested, though, with Black Friday, Giving Tuesday, all of these different deals and sales and promotions are going on, but not all of them are legit. These worries personally push me away from wanting to give because I'm not 100% sure where my money is going. Do you guys note that on the site with anything that looks fraudulent or just suspicious in general? You are definitely not alone. That is a big barrier to giving. A lot of people will say, well, I won't donate because I don't know where my money is going or what it's doing. And that's what Charity Navigator actually exists to do. And um, the way that we do that is that, again, we we list all 1.6 million nonprofits in the U.S. We rate 200,000. We also issue what we call advisories. So this is for reported or confirmed misconduct at nonprofits or even folks that are pretending to be nonprofits. Okay. So if there's somebody out there that's soliciting money, you can come to our site. You can check to see if they're legit, um, what their rating is, if they have an advisory, and be able to really give with confidence as a result of that information. What's your favorite part about working at Charity Navigator? Definitely the people. So we have a really large reach. Um, We have more than 11 million donors that are coming to us annually. We're the nation's leading nonprofit evaluator and the premier trust indicator in the sector. 
Um, but it's a really small but mighty team. So all together, we're about 35 people that are doing this work and serving those millions of folks. Um, and I work with people that I would say are either near genius level or total genius level. These <laughs> folks that are working with us that are creating new methodology and constantly pushing things to be able to evolve our systems and and be able to reach folks in, in new and innovative ways. You know, one of the things that I would share is that, you know, when most people think about giving, they think about where their money's going, and that's really important. So they think about, you know, the financial health of the organization, but there are a lot of other aspects that you should consider when you're giving. You know, we consider really the holy grail of charity evaluation, the impact, and this means, like, how good are they actually at doing good and making a difference? Um, so we have about 2,000 charities at this point that we've rated on impact. And then there's also other things that you want to consider as far as when you're making an investment. You know, is that an organization that's going to be around for years to come? The other thing that I would say is that, you know, obviously the idea of charity is rapidly changing. You have people that, you know, are on TikTok and they're putting out QR codes and asking for money. And, you know, send me money through my cash app or send me through Venmo. And obviously it's, you know, good to, to help, you know, your, your fellow man and woman. Um, but, you know, we definitely want people to give with their hearts and also give with their heads. So, you know, make sure that you're doing due diligence, know who you're giving to, um, and use resources like Charity Navigator to be able to help uh, guide your giving and make sure it's an informed and impactful. Have you guys found that the state of the economy affects the donation to charities? Uh, I think, you know, where a lot of people are thinking is that, you know, with the state of the economy, there's a lot of volatility with giving. Uh, I'm really happy to share that we ran a recent survey on our site, and we're seeing that 86% of donors plan to give the same or more this year compared to last year. And it just really is a testament to, you know, uh, giving being like one of the kindest things that you can do, that when other people are down and affected, um, you know, other people want to kind of swoop in and, and, you know, be the hero for them. So definitely encourage that, you know, even if you don't have a lot to give, if you have $5 to give, if you can volunteer, if you can advocate for an organization that you really care about, um, do that because there's a lot of people that are in need and you can do a world of good for them. Thank you so much, Kevin. Kevin Scally, Chief Relationship Officer at Charity Navigator. My final question for you, because it is the season of giving, what does season of giving mean to you? Oh, this is a good question. Um, you know, I think that, you know, when you're when you're younger, the, the holiday season is all about getting. And then I think as you get older and wiser, it's more about giving. And, um, you know, I think about, um, you know, friends and family that are in my life that, you know, they, they have pretty much everything that they need. And it's a matter of finding ways to be able to touch them. Um, so, you know, doing a kind, kind thing or, you know, doing an experience with them. Um, another thing that I like to do and is really touching for people is donating in their honor um, because it's not just, you know, hey, another tie for dad. It's, hey, I know I know this is a cause that you really care about um, and just, uh, you know, make a donation that's in tribute to them. So um, I'd say it's giving in all the ways. Well said, Kevin. Is there anything else that you'd like to remind people of as they're finishing out their Thanksgiving weekend, Giving Tuesday and just their holidays in general? I would just say, you know, do do inventory of, of what you're thankful for. I mean, that's what Thanksgiving is all about. You know, and make sure that you're helping others that are in need. Thank you so much for being here with us today on First Day. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everybody. Kevin Scally, Chief Relationship Officer at Charity Navigator. Thank you again. 
It is 1030, and uh, I just wanted to mention coming up, the National Commission on Terrorist Attacks Upon Us, also known as the 9-11 Commission, was set up on this date 20 years ago today. So coming up, there's a new documentary titled, Are We Safer Today? It was written, created, and produced by Indianapolis-based Naptown Media Award-winning co-producer Bob Massey, and he'll join us next on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Day on 93 WIBC. I'm Terry Stacy, along with producer Kylan Talley. And 20 years ago today, the National Commission on Terrorist Attacks upon our country, also known as the 9-11 Commission, was set up. And there's a new documentary that chronicles and examines the work, the impact, and the legacy of the National Commission on Terrorist Attacks titled, Are We Safer Today? And it was written, created, and produced by Indianapolis-based Naptown Media. And joining us now is Bob Massey. He is an award-winning co-producer with Naptown Media and the documentary's executive producer. Bob, it's good to have you with us. Hi, Terry. Thank you so much for having me. Are we safer today? This is a question I ask myself since the attacks in 2001. And I'm curious to know, after all of this time spent working and documenting and everything you did with Are We Safer Today?, if you feel safer today, as I do, or did your mind change a little bit? Oh, no. My mind didn't change. If I can tell you a background story, yeah. the, the answer to that question will uh, be quite pointed. Uh, I started this project four years ago, and as in so many projects that end up being meaningful, this started at a lunch with Lee Hamilton, who, of course, was our longtime uh, congressman in, in uh, Indiana, and also was the co-chairman of the 9-11 Commission. Well, now he is the scholar in residence at the Hamilton Luger School at IU. Uh, he's an old friend, and we have lunch a couple times a year. Well, I was at lunch in Bloomington with Lee, along with Michael Carita, the uh, award-winning fiction author, you know, the... Uh, so cold the river, the yes. movie that was based on Michael's, yeah, scary oh, French Lick Springs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob Hamill, who was Bob Knight's best friend and a famous sports writer. The four of us were at lunch. Well, the conversation turned to Lee's role in the 9/11 Commission, and Lee started telling us things behind the scenes things about what happened on the commission and their incredible investigation. We were amazed. All three of us said, we've never heard some of this stuff before. Well, at the end of the lunch, I looked at Lee and I said, listen, I don't think there's ever been a media project that documents the work of the 9-11 Commission, what you all did and how you did it, let alone any of your own personal stories. If I research that and find out that it's true, would you be willing to team up with me on this? 
he didn't hesitate. It's like he had been thinking about it for a long time. He said, absolutely. And what's more, we're going to call it, are we safer today? We have to keep that question in front of the American public. So that title comes from Lee's passion for keeping in touch with the American community and with making sure that folks have the information that they need from the federal and the local government to have some confidence in public safety and national defense. This just was pretty easy to get the okay, let's do it. Well, yeah, so it was both easy and difficult, which often things are. Uh, Lee called Tom Kane, who was the chairman of the commission, former governor of New Jersey, and Tom was immediately on board. Well, Tom and Lee then called the other commissioners. At that time, all 10 were living. We've lost two during this time that we've had this project. They were all on board. Then they called six of the top staff members to say, would you advise on this project? They were all on board. So it was like immediately we got their buy-in. Once we had that in place, then it was a matter of how do we pay for it? So we had to go out and find sponsors. 18 months the most extensive investigation in U.S. history, 1,200 interviews, two and a half million documents, and I got 90 minutes to tell the story. Then this commission was not formed for another year or so. 18 months. 18 months. It took some time. And that in itself was a battle. And I think that the 9-11 families were really an essential part of why this commission came to be, if I'm not mistaken. You are dead on, and and you're actually not strong enough. They're not the essential part. They are the reason. Congress, you'll recall that the 2000 election was quite contentious between Bush and Gore, and you remember the the hanging chads and all that stuff? So this was a toxic political environment, much like the one that we have today. I think today is worse, but it was similar. So you had the Clinton administration and the Bush administration, the Bush being the one in power at the time. Nobody in either one of those sides wanted an independent investigation because they were afraid that they'd get blamed for 9-11. Well, what Congress did, instead of uh, uh, commissioning an independent investigation, they decided that they were going to do the investigation. So they did. There was a joint committee of the Senate and the House. And uh, actually, Tim Romer from Indiana uh, was on that joint commission, and he also ended up on the 9-11 commission. So we in Indiana had two of the 10 commissioners from our state. This joint committee investigated the intelligence community. The members of the committee, the Congress people said, there's more now that we don't know than we knew going into this. The report that was put out was so heavily redacted that it was useless. The 9-11 families, who were just plain old folks until they had this tragedy, learned about the federal government and how to influence it, and they were in Washington all the time. They said, no, this is not acceptable. We will not stop until you get an independent investigation. And they are the reason there was a 9-11 commission. They were a mighty force. That's actually, that's very true. 
Uh, and we had two remarkable things in that regard. The first one was the persistence of the 9-11 families. They did stay involved, and they're involved today. Hmm. Our film premiered in New York City in two places on the weekend of 9-11. One was at the uh, Voices of Resilience conference. Voices of Resilience is an organization that was formed by Mary and Frank Fetchett, uh, one of the leaders of the 9-11 family group. They continue now to be bringing what the 9-11 families learned during this 20 years to communities, for example, that have school shootings or countries that have, like in France, where the, the, uh, the, the terrorist act happened a couple of years ago. So they do consulting in the way to help civic engagement during those traumatic times. So they stayed involved. The other big factor was the commissioners stayed involved. Mm. These were unelected, distinguished citizens who were quite partisan. And I really want to talk about this bipartisan thing. But when the commission was done, they weren't done. And Tom Kane tells the story of being in the Senate one day after the report had been issued, testifying to try to encourage the Senate to adopt some of the recommendations. Well, one of the senators who was not a, a big cheerleader of the commission, didn't really want it to form, said, what are you doing here? You all are done. Tom said, well, the commission may be done, but we're not done. So all of the commissioners jumped on board on this project because here, 20 years after the formation of the commission, mm -hmm. it's another opportunity for their voices to be heard in the American experience, hopefully to in, to inject some positive, non-cynical, uplifting aspect of the way politicians can actually work together. Bob, let's take a quick break right here. Bob Massey, award-winning co-producer with Naptown Media and documentary executive producer of a film called Are We Safer Today? You're listening to The First Day on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Home, a place where I can go to take this off my shoulders. Someone take me home. Welcome back to the first day, 93 WIBC. I'm Terry Stacy, along with producer Kylan Talley. If you're just now joining us, we've been talking to Bob Massey, award-winning co-producer with Naptown Media and executive producer of Are We Safer Today, a 90-minute documentary. There are components, though, besides the documentary. You said there's, there's three or four mm -hmm. other parts to this. Can I back up for a moment yeah, and talk please. about the bipartisan aspect? Because it's so central to the story of the commission. As I told you, Congress did not want to form an independent commission. They wanted their own internal investigation to be the one that then was heavily redacted. The public couldn't tell what was going on, and everything just gets put away and nobody gets blamed. When the 9-11 families backed Congress into a corner and they had to move, well, uh, Joe Lieberman and others of his ilk were the ones, uh, Tim Romer, were the ones that really got the legislation formed. And when the, the, so the, the thing was finally formed, then it was up to who's going to be on the commission. Henry Kissinger was the first recruit 
as the chairman of the commission. And George Mitchell, who was the Senate minority leader at the time, was the co-chairman. Had those two people survived the process, it could never have been bipartisan. There were no more partisan people in Washington than those two people. What would have happened is exactly what Congress wanted to happen. Five Republicans, five Democrats. They'll never agree. There'll be a majority report and a minority report, and it'll be put on the shelf. But the 9-11 families pressured Congress to force Kissinger to expose who his clients were. Because, you know, Kissinger, it is likely that Saudi Arabia and others uh, who may have had some role were on Kissinger's client list. Well, Kissinger refused to do it, and he withdrew his name. Same thing with George Mitchell and the law firm he was in. Well, that left the chair and the vice chair open. So President Bush called Tom Kane, who had been the governor of New Jersey. Uh, Then Lee was recruited. Anybody that's been around in Indiana knows Lee Hamilton Mm -hmm. and what kind of a statesman figure he is. Those two guys brought a leadership to a very partisan group, the five Republicans and the five Democrats. For example, Richard Benveniste was one of the prosecutors of Nixon during Watergate. You can't get more Democrat than Richard Benveniste. On the other hand, John Lehman, he was in Henry Kissinger's staff in the Nixon White House. I'm t- I mean, these are very distinguished people who were very partisan, very much wanted to be on the commission. Well, what Tom and Lee did was they decided that they would they they would have a leadership style that would be different. First thing is, Tom got them all together at the Wilson Center, where Lee was the president at Mm -hmm. the time, for a dinner. They got to know each other and learn to be friends with each other before they tackled this epic project. Amazing. Well, then the second thing that they did that is remarkable is that Tom made a pledge to Lee, I will never appear with a, before the press, unless you are with me, I will never approve a staff member unless you approve too. I will never approve a resolution unless you approve too. And Lee will tell you to this day, that's not done in Washington. The chairman has all the power, and the co-chairman sits there and tries to argue. Tom Kane's leadership and what he put into place allowed an environment that then the third big thing was able to grow and flower into the tremendous thing that they did. That third thing was Tom insisted that they focus on the facts. He did not allow for political blathering. The staff was hired without regard to politics. They wanted the most well-equipped, experienced staff possible, and they put them on the facts. And when there was a political problem came up, the commissioners will tell you they went to ground. They went to the facts before they took the political consideration on. So it's a remarkable story of great leadership and great followership. And this documentary captures, you got all these guys together, yep, right? Yep. Uh, down at IU. Mm-hmm. And here's an interesting thing. Uh, Tom Kane is very close to Judy Woodruff, who's, of course, a national news yep. commentator on PBS. 
Jane Polly is a graduate of Indiana yeah. University. Yeah. Both of those ladies we considered as hosts for the group discussion that we had with kind the of a commission. moderator. Exactly. What we decided was, though, those are stars who would gobble up a lot of the focus, and we really wanted the focus and the experience to show viewers that these were people who have currently political differences, but they relate as friends. That could only come through if we declawed the media presence of it. Just let him talk. Yeah. So we recruited Chris Kojum, who is a scholar at George Washington University. He was the deputy executive director of the commission staff. He was Lee's uh, uh, assistant in Congress for a long time. So we recruited Chris to be the moderator. We worked for months on the script that Chris would use to guide the discussion. And what happened was exactly what we wanted. Chris is invisible. He is a quiet, bookish scholar who posed the right questions and then disappeared. And you really see this wonderful interaction of these very distinguished people. Are we safer today? Are we safer today.com will give them a trailer of the film, a trailer of the podcast, a little trailer of the oral histories. We did produce Lee's into a, a short bite. Thank you, my friend. Uh, thank you so sincerely for having me on. I appreciate it. And your long contribution to this community. Thank you. It's 10:56. No Colts game tomorrow. They play tomorrow night when the Steelers come to town for Monday night football. Guess what? You can participate in the Stadium Light Show. All you need to do is sync your smartphone's flashlight to the show's music by downloading the Colts app. And then once you open that app, you click Join the Colts Light Show, enabling the mic and the camera. It's pretty cool. And by the way, did you see that Jim Mercy donated a million dollars to the Indianapolis Zoo since I'm talking about the Colts? It's pretty awesome. Uh, we've still got another hour to go here on the first day. You're listening to 93 WIBC.